Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Langston Hughes. I'm so gonna miss y'all. I know. Just I, I was just my brain was just doing that. How, how did they do it on uh, the color purple? Me and you must never part. <laughs> <laughs> well, y'all, this is our farewell episode. We have been to the coverage of the Chauvin trial, processing and dealing with community members as we had to face daily coverage and reliving of the murder of our brother Floyd, George Floyd. We've had folks come on and dream. We've had folks come on and just vent. We've had folks talk about what's happening on the front line. We've had folks talk about a whole lot of different things on this weekly community check-in during this season of Reckoning. And our time is coming to a close here. The project itself is not, but bearing witness with Anthony and Georgia is coming to a close with this episode. So we want to take a look back at where we've been. We're going to do the Sankofa treatment of this to look at who we were, to look at who we are, and to look at where we're headed or who we want to be. And so, Miss Georgia, um, it's been an honor just getting to hold space with you to, to, to cover you in prayer, to, to, to see all the things that you're doing as an independent journalist Sister, it's just been an honor. Anthony, the feeling is so mutual. It has been such a pleasure to watch your journey, uh, both on the show and uh, spiritually, as you have stepped into a role now as a pastor in Duluth. You know, um, it's funny. We, we I've got to share with our with with those who are listening some of the interesting ways that these circles connect. So so Georgia, you was in Duluth as a journalist, yeah, as a broadcaster, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, a and, whole and news anchor, a whole news anchor, <laughs> <laughs> and and found yourself having to leave for various reasons, and then to find out, um, you know, at the annual conference of the African Methodist Episcopal Church that the bishop was sending me to pastor in Duluth. Um, and what's funny is Elder Stacy Smith was one of our early yeah. guests, yeah. who's my supervising pastor. Um, you know, and it's the presiding elder who, who, along with, you know, the folks make the recommendation. So in back of my mind, I'm wondering if she knew when she was talking to us. Oh, she knew. Already. You, you know she knew. Because <laughs> on top of that, she's prophetic as well. So, um, you know, it it is amazing to see you also pastor at a church where your, was it your grandparents attended as well? great, great grandparents grew up in the church and were members. Yeah, that's that's so powerful. I think for me, even you and I having the opportunity to host a weekly show uh, was significant for me because our families have been connected. I've known your aunt for many, many years. She's been a dear friend, and she's been someone who has helped me at every significant moment in my career. And so, it, it, you know, I was uh, blown away when I found out that we were going to be co-hosting the show together. And it's been nothing short of amazing having these conversations with you um, in, in a way that has challenged me intellectually and spiritually, and that has allowed both of us to check in with community and see how they're doing uh, personally and professionally as well. You know, that, that check-in piece is so important. When um, Freddie Bell and uh, Kevin Lindsay and Amper's Radio folks got together and, and, and started to dream up the Racial Reckoning Project, I remember us being on the call with all the potential folks who could be a part of it, just kind of hashing out this idea and, and fleshing it out. And when it came to this weekly check-in, um, this idea that we would we would connect with community members to make sure that we archive this moment of racial reckoning and get on the record, um, you know, the the experiences of folks. I was not paying attention to um, the self-effects of being able to weekly know that there's going to be a space where we, you and I, were going to be able to check in, especially during the height of the Chauvin trial. Um, there are two moments that I want to harken back to as you talked about that. Um, as we talk about that particular phase, um, one of the episodes um, was called Soul Weary. And it was, um, uh, I remember the, the graphic for it is you holding your baby girl. 
and, you know, covering frontline protests, covering the trial, covering all of those different things. Um, we checked in with you in particular to, to check in and see how you were doing. Um, and you flipped the script back on me <laughs> and, and had a question back on me. And, and just the night before, I had gotten so angered at the testimony that was happening that I ended up, before I realized it, having stormed out of my house, grabbed my keys and ended up at George Floyd Square at like 1130 at night. Just, just to be in the space and kind of, you know, just, just process. So there have been times where things with, you know, in this coverage have gotten really weary. And I'm curious for you how, how you're continuing to use that and reflect on that as you continue to have to be out there covering even now the Potter trial. Um, you know, as as we, as I think the just recently the the, the prosecution's rested in the defense is going to begin uh, doing their part, and so. I'm just curious how, you know, given all of those moments of weariness that we've talked about to, to, to date, you know, where are you putting that now? Like, how are you using that now? You know, Anthony, I am always reminded that I am standing on the shoulders of my ancestors. And while it's important to take a moment, pause, process, reflect, talk through how things affect you, we have to keep moving forward. And so these check-ins for me have have been a space where I've been able to come, talk through, share, listen, learn, and and then move forward. And so I think, you know, we as a community uh, have had a a history, a legacy of being oral storytellers, oral learners. A lot of our history has been passed down orally, and so I I feel like this even this show that we've created has been that place, not just for myself, but I've heard from other people who have been on this show with us that creating this space to share and process and think through has has been uh, very instrumental for people being able to move forward from challenging situations, uh, not just that they're enduring personally, but that we are enduring collectively. You know, early, early uh, in the show, we had on... Um, the uh, Dr. Um, Joy Lewis, who is, you know, you you coined our ending phrase with Dr. Joy Lewis. And, um, you know, the, our, our resident, he, one of our resident community healers in the space. And it was an amazing conversation because it was, it was during a time when our family, my family had chosen to do um, some really important self-care. And in that episode, um, as we saw and got to hear how a practitioner of healing is processing this moment. We got into a conversation where she was like, you know, I, I didn't cook. She, she, she talked about having cooked and she was talking about, you know, she had cooked for the week and she had, um, she had the greens that she learned from her grandmother. And, and she, she was just tying these pieces together. And it was a wonderful moment of, of being able to reflect on the things that we do every day culturally that we may not think to access for our regular healing. I'm curious you know, being in a space of holding space, like our our resident local healer, Dr. Joy Lewis, um, what are some things that you've picked up in terms of holding space for others throughout our conversations? I think it's important to listen and uh, allow people the the space to be heard. So many times, black folks are in predominantly white led spaces where we are not heard or our voices are minimized or we are susceptible to code switching and we don't feel like we can show up as our true authentic selves. I think that what you and I have created is a place where our community can show up as their full authentic selves They don't have to compartmentalize. They don't have to only show up in a limited limited capacity, but they can show up as their true, whole, full self. 
And I think that that has been liberating for people. I'm curious, Anthony, as we reflect on what has been and where we're headed after this, uh, what have been some of those nuggets that you feel like will stay with you? So um, I have three Everything comes in threes for me. So, so there's three. The first I'll start off with is the Soulmates episode um, where we were trying to figure out, we were stuck, I think, in Tennessee trying to, to take the kids in the outdoor experience <laughs> in the lockdown, um, trying to keep them some sense of, of, of sanity. Um, we were trying to, to nail down Ceriso, yo boo thing, um, just so we could have the two couples yeah. on there. And we ended up like being in three different places having to record on the road. Um but even in that, you know, one of the nuggets that took away is to see another couple have to process going through this moment together yeah. and how we show up for one another. Um, that was huge. It, it, um, I got to see two, I got to see some friends, right. Be in a similar spot. And so y'all are always be in our heart in that regard, because I think for us, it started a very different conversation in our household, um, just about how we show up for one another. And so that, um, that, that was a big deal for me, right? To go to, to the remembrance that not only you're not alone about in this, as much as you're going through what you're going through, you've got a partner who's also experiencing things. And how do we have that conversation? So that, that, that stood out to me. The, 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 <laughs> the, the second one that stood out to me was our conversation with Tish Jones. Yes. Um, the yes. Soul Collective episode. I don't know what it was about that episode, but it was, um, we had a, a conversation. Like it was, um, I think all of us might, I know for me, I said some things that usually I would kind of couch and couth and all those types of things. And there was something about that space that we just got to talk as it was. Like we, we <laughs> and that, 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 that stood with me because how often in this season have we, and especially in our current environment, do we and try our hardest to couch things so much because we're we're you're concerned about how it comes out and all those things. And how often do we get to just have a frank and honest conversation that gets at the heart of some of the important things? I think I walked away from that one going, man, that's the energy I want to be in. And and that energy has has proven well. I think that energy, you know, allowed me to preach some sermons that helped, you know, push things over the edge in terms of my my appointment. So that was huge. Um the third one goes all the way back to when you brought on um, the mothers. You brought on Rose McGee. Yeah. And um, Kimberly Handy Jones. And Kimberly Handy Jones. And hearing this mother who organizes other mothers who have lost people. Um, that was huge. That was huge. It was real. It was raw. And it gave an insight to the wrap around effects of these moments beyond just the policy, beyond just the reactions that folks have to it. We, we it got us face to face with our, one of our healers, right? I got to watch Miss Rose McGee, one of our community healers and Miss Handy Jones talk to each other and get to, to share in that space. It was like church um, to be able to have the, 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 the elders on the line handling business. The, the energy for me comes when pies are placed in the hands of people and you can see how much they appreciate it. I think it was August, Miss Kimberly, perhaps, when all the mamas came from all over the country to Minnesota. And what I discovered was I cannot make all the pies. Volunteers, volunteers. And we made pies and got them out there to Bloomington where the mamas were. That whole situation was an awakening for me, too. Well, I am the uh, mother of Cordell Quinn Handy, whose life was stolen uh, March 15th of 2017 by safe call police, Miko Norman and Nathaniel Yance. And uh, when my son's life was stolen, I knew that I wanted to look at other moms that circumstance was like mine, who had lost kids to police, uh, terror, and violence. And I began to travel and go to different states and stand in unity with other mothers and fathers who had lost kids to police brutality. 
and I almost felt imposter level um, sitting at there like, why do I even be, be here? I was like, our producer, <laughs> Plea, you could just have them keep talking. And I'm just going to sit back and, 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 you know, maybe I'll hold a light or a boom or, <laughs> or something like that. Um, those are three those are three things that will always stand for me from this, um, from these episodes. I'm curious which ones stand out for you. Oh, Tish, Tish Jones, for sure. <laughs> um, she dropped the mic. Louis Blaze, that was another one of That's my favorite right. episodes. He did a performative uh, piece for us that just felt so timely, yet timeless. And it moved me. Speaking out, speaking out, speaking out as a roll call, calling our people out of the darkness and bringing them into the light, telling them to embrace themselves, embrace their greatness, finally come up out of the darkness, embrace your greatness. The revolution will be televised this time around, and it's our obligation to stand up and fight for our rights, to fight for our freedom, to fight for our people. And to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. And I, I would also say there was a, a bit from what Kevin Lindsay said in terms of contextualizing where we are today. The Ooh. mic drop. I think that's a nugget that will stay with me as well. That's, it, that's the one where he said he talked about the third reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. man. Yes. We, we can't underscore the, the point that um, we're almost in the third period of recon, uh, recon, uh, reconstruction within our, in our country. Um, this third cycle of reconstruction, for me, um, I look at it after slavery, I look at the civil rights, and I look after our first black president. Those time periods, America had to really struggle well, who would really what is really it means to be an American? Wow. And, and I think uh, <laughs> within this space, uh, I'm at least encouraged, you know, the first two instances, the steps weren't as big, but I'm hoping that it'll be a quantum leap here after mm. the, the desert that we have been in and the wilderness that we have been in uh, for the last uh, five, six years. Hopefully we will we will be in a better place. That the the history buff in the history nerd in me just like melted. Like he could have he could have had everything in my household if he would have asked for it in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> yep, those are my three. So she's gonna hate me for this, but all this time we have had somebody in our court producing us, keeping us real close. You know, organizing folks to come in, holding it down late nights, producing and editing all of our crazy schedules around. And so I would be remiss in our final episode if we didn't get to hear a little bit of the same questions from our producer, Hlee Lee. Uh, Hlee Lee Cron, who is a journalist, a producer. She's with me on the Counter Stories podcast. But Hlee, I am so curious, you know, what are some nuggets for you throughout this time together, being that you get to listen to every single piece of audio? Also, let me just say, if we could insert applause here. yes. <laughs> <laughs> she typed in the chat. Nope. <laughs> Cause I mean, I've just been, you know, I've been learning from the two of you, how you guys are keeping it together. I feel like I'm not very good at keeping it together and just seeing the way that you both do it with grace and the hopefulness that you bring to it and your love for your babies and your, your families. I think that is very inspirational to me and just the insight that I'm, I'm able to sit in on, you know, these are conversations that, you know, I don't get to have. And I've met so many people, um, through this process. Um, Rose McGee made me a, a, a sweet potato pie and I, I brought it to my mom and we had it with my, my, um, niece. And so we had three generation of women eating this beautiful pie. Um, and it, you know, it was just, it was so heartwarming. I, I really felt um, really connected to the community in, in a new way, um, feeling the love coming from these folks that, you know, we're doing this all over Zoom. So uh, feeling the love from all these folks that I've not met in person yet. <laughs> Beautiful. And 
I, I, I apologize, Lee. I know you just, that is, you hate that. <laughs> but I had to get your voice in the mix because none yeah. of this would be possible without, without you holding it down the way you were and, and showing me some of the ropes technical side. We were able to trade off a couple of uh, producing gigs. So I'm saying this with heartfelt sincerity, having to been on the other side to pull a show or two together. I can't do what you do on mm-hmm. a weekly basis. And Absolutely. so I just needed folks to be able to hear uh, some of the support and the fact that this is multiracial support, right? So when you want to talk about the myth of of the myth of this rift between Asian and Black community spaces, that I think it's overhyped. I mean, this is an example of some of that. You understand some of the nuances that other folks would never understand, and and so hearing the hearing you even edit the shows, I can see your understanding of the experience of of Black community spaces and of us personally. And I just need to name that and how important and awesome that is. <laughs> that Well, well, I ain't going to make that promise. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I've been waiting for this question for a while. Um, and so I'm going to ask it just, just, just flat out. So, so we have been to some places in the daily coverage. You know, I was there in George Floyd Square when the verdict was announced. Um, Time Magazine took a bunch of our pain and made it a front page thing. Um, or not Time Magazine, but one of the newspapers. Because um, I was standing there with Gia Star Brown, who I was hoping would be a guest at some point. Um, she's another uh, clergy pastor, one of my big sisters in the ministry. Um, her, her partner, myself, and several other clergy um, you know, we're, we're watching the video camera as it was streamed and we were watching your feed, um, Georgia, during that time. And there was just this moment of full circle that we had independent journalists who were responsible for us getting the information real time. And we were, and we were in turn acting upon that information. And then to see all of these other mainstream news organizations, um, taking that moment and needing to follow into that moment as a, as independent journalists and as journalists yourself, both of you, I know, but, but Georgia, I'm curious, you know, you have seen a lot. You were live streaming and, and doing an interview. Or, I don't know if you're live streaming, but you were doing an interview when a drive-by happened. I watched on a live stream as you had a dodge rubber bullets and things that are being thrown out of Brooklyn Center. I mean, you have literally been on the ground. And so if you had to do it all over again, what would you add? change, you know, having the benefit of hindsight being 2020. What are some things that you were like, oh, I would have gone back. Oh, I would have could have done this or things like that. I'm always just curious. If I could go back, I would have become independent sooner. Mm. Mm. Now, now, tell me more about that. Well, When George Floyd was murdered, I was working for a new media company that I thought was going to do the things that I knew were necessary to advance the narrative around um, or advance the narrative for black culture. And the murder of George Floyd and that company's coverage surrounding it revealed it was going to do the exact opposite. And so that is, that's how I became independent fully. I, I had already been doing some work independently in the evenings and on the weekends outside of that position. But because I wasn't independent at that moment, I feel like I held back in some ways. Um, I I wasn't really on the front lines, and 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 to be honest, you know, I mean, everything happens for a reason. If I was fully independent, I don't know if if I would have felt comfortable being out there, you know. Mm. With three children at that time, my youngest was only, I think, one, one and a half. Um, and, and I had friends. I had other journalists who had gotten arrested um, after George Floyd was murdered. You had a journalist who was shot in the eye and lost the eye. Yeah. A lot of equipment broken, you know, but... 
I um I just I I was kind of you know hard on myself during that time because I mean I was doing a lot but it just didn't it didn't feel like enough and I know I'm not the only person who feels that way I've I've talked to other people who feel like I wish I could have done more mm. you know feeling guilty about only coming to clean and not you know and so I I just I don't know. There, there's just a part of me that that feels like I, I wish I would have started on this trajectory sooner, because I feel like my work has been impactful. You know, and I, I think about that original press release that came out, and it just didn't feel like there was any accountability to the media perpetuating that narrative, and in a lot of ways. Now I feel like I've assumed that role to at least say something when these things are happening and inaccurate narratives, harmful narratives are being perpetuated. But um, at that time, I just wasn't in that position to do that work. So Mm. that's the only thing. I just, you know, I know a lot of people might think that maybe I, I wouldn't, be as involved, but I feel like if I could go back, I'd be even more involved. <laughs> yeah. How about you? Um, you know, I, I, you went, you went back, back all the way back to that space. You know, I, I think, um, I have, I have figured out over time some of the things that I can do well. I have a confidence now in terms of holding space. Um, I've done it so many times now that I can, I can, I can count on if we, if I hold space and, 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 and help facilitate dialogue and engagement, that there's something good that's going to come that can come, that can come out of it. I've, I've held space for some space where there wasn't a whole lot of things that came out of there other than we now know exactly where people stand and we know we don't want to see them anymore. Um, and that, Hey, that can be beneficial. Um, but I think one of the things that, um, and, and in fact, it was the episode so unfiltered with Dr. Catrice Jackson um, that helped me to kind of crystallize words around this. Um, in addition to the fact that y'all had a loving moment when I was looking at y'all doing y'all y'all baby's hair as this meditative, awesome moment, largely because I'm on the outside watching, not having to do all the corralling. And so y'all helped school me on some perspective on that. And I loved that moment of loving. <laughs> y'all were like, yeah, that's beautiful what you described and all well and good and all that kind of stuff. But this is how it really goes down. <laughs> this is how mama's magic really happens. Um, but the... Um, it was it was some of the things that she was saying and some of in some of the way that she was putting that that made me realize that I was being very tentative. And I was still in a lot of my interactions doing a lot of spending a lot of time and energy for the benefit of white folks' comfort. Mm. And this is something that if I go back, and it's not, it's this is different than meeting folks where they are. I get meeting folks where they are all day. But the amount of energy and time and angst and, um, and, and, and really emotional toll that we spend to not get so far outside of white comfort that we become attacked by it <laughs> and not to get it, it, and to worry about how folks may be feeling or receiving this. And sometimes I would tell myself it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's my trauma coming on an appeasal. Right. This is this is some looking at some of the work of Resma Minikin, right? That we our trauma responses can be fight, flight, appease is one of them. And I had been walking in that timid space for a long time. And if I had to go back, you know, I would remember something that um, one of my early mentors and, and teachers and trainers, Tanisha Abdur Salam, told me early on in training. Um, and, and that was if they're gonna hate you anyway. Or if you're going to get the certain response or reaction anyway, you might as well be your full self and not extend the energy, meeting somebody else where they are. (laughs) So if I had to do it all over again, that would be a very important, like, thing to go back and and give it out. And so, you know, if I could have had that earlier, right? And and, and I had folks like Miss McGee in my early years helping to raise me up and teach me that. I had had Elder Stacey Smith when she was my pastor, you know, teaching me that. If I would have only listened during those times, I could have been walking much more boldly. 
And so, and, and, and that boldness would have created other spaces for other folks to do the same. That is the kind of thing that if I had hindsight being 2020, I would have been, I would have, I would have walked a little bit more in my center space that I have scraped and clawed to get to now much, much, much earlier. And that's, that's the benefit of hindsight, right? Man, I have learned so much from holding space with you over the last, what, eight, nine months. And, you know, the thing that always helps keep me balanced is your perspective of the historical implications of things that are are playing out modern day. And, you know, this constant reflecting back to help us contextualize uh, what we're going through now and to recognize the patterns. The, the, it, it, and so let's talk about that, right? So um, we're, we, we are going away, right? Georgia's Fort is still going to be the amazing independent journalist she is. I'm still going to be pastoring and getting into good trouble, hopefully um, in as many places as possible and holding space for those for real conversation. Um, and so some of the patterns that often happen is we find a space, we build a space, and then we start thinking about, well, what's going to happen to that space when we let it go? Almost like founder syndrome, um, which is a thing that happens in organizations. It happens in community. You know, we've built something here and now we're, we're, we're letting go of this stage. Um, and so a lot of times when that happens, we will only reminisce and not think about what we can build for the new. And so I want to break that historical pattern, especially for things that are created by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. That's a nod for you and Counter Stories, Lee. Um, as, we, as we move forward and we think about the spaces that we were able to tap into here, and I know there are spaces that are being held in places all the way around. What do you see your part and your role being going forward based on all the things that we've experienced and learned throughout this time together? You know... I before I expound on that, I just I, I have to express how much I needed this space, you know, and how thankful I am that Ampers, KMOJ, Minnesota Humanity Center, Anthony Hale, that all of you. Um, have given your time, energy, and effort to creating this space because um, this space is is it's helped me grow. It, it's helped give some some structure and visibility to my work. And for that, I am eternally grateful. And so, as I think about, you know, where do I go from here? What comes next? What's in the next chapter? Boy, do I sure hope, Anthony, you and I can continue having uh, conversations because I think that uh, the the balance between journalism and spirituality and historical context coming together uh, through, you know, even the the perspective of modern day events is uh, something that you don't really get anywhere else. And so I, I think that we've created something really unique. And so I, I hope in some way uh, these conversations can continue. In terms of my independent journalism and my company, Black Press, my intention is to expand the work that I'm doing and to continue creating opportunities to expand and formalize the opportunities that are being created. I'm hoping to hire in 2022. And I am also hoping to continue the development work that I do in my free time. <laughs> um, <laughs> some folks know uh, that, you know, I was working on a development project in East St. Paul to permanently house my husband's business and I am hoping to continue doing development because I've realized through acquisition of land and property comes wealth generation. And as we've had all of these conversations very focused on racial justice, there's a parallel that I see 
um, surrounding economic justice. And, you know, meanwhile, we are living our lives and we're doing the work. Um, All the work that I do as an independent journalist, at the end of the day, I go home and I don't own my home. You know, I'm not fortunate to be among the 17% black folks in Minnesota who own their home. And that's not fair. You know, it's not fair to me or my family because we work hard. And it's not fair to the other 83% of black Americans who or black Minnesotans, rather, uh, who, who don't own their homes either. And so um, simultaneously, while I, I am fighting to change the narrative, I'm also trying to understand the different pathways to um, wealth generation, I always remember that 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 episode with PJ Hill, um, with brother PJ Hill, where you got into some really important conversations around how that the the wealth creation and, and things going forward. I think those those are are powerful places to be and bring attention and narrative to that. For me, I, I see that a lot of these issues that we have in society stem from the economic inequalities that lie within society and that the systems have created. So I think a big thing for me when I was transitioning from professional basketball, the reason why I got into finance is I wanted to be able to teach people about financial literacy and then teach them how to grow wealth so I can liberate our people economically. I think if we're liberated from the system, then we can be self-sustaining as a community. And then we start to have say. And that starts with like home ownership. That starts with like being able to not only save, but uh, save to invest. So then you can start to become an owner of things in your community. And I think that was very important for me. Um, prior to George Floyd, um, I wasn't never really involved in the social justice movement. But after that, you know, after I witnessed that slow nine minute murder of a man, it doesn't matter if you're black or white, rich, poor, man, woman, something inside of all of us broke and we said enough is enough. So I said, how do I use my gifts and my talents for people and to be able to teach financial literacy, to teach people about the stock market, to teach people about generational wealth, about insurance, so that every generation, our people is not starting from ground zero. That way we can start to layer on and really change the narrative in our community and take ownership. We've seen that it's clear with the wonderful reporting in the Racial Reckoning Project, with your reporting as an independent journalist, that you ask questions that may be on the minds of folks in community, but not necessarily to mainstream organizations, media organizations. And so you ask questions that provide the types of perspectives and get to places that may not, that, that may not be understood by dominant cultural spaces, but are, are absolutely understood and, 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 and appreciated in community space. You know, for me, going forward from here, the importance of holding space, because people are coming to epiphanies left and right. You know, um, you know, you never know when that thing is going to awaken and all the dots connect. Um, and you realize that that something somebody said or some something that came out, a perspective that comes onto the table, all of a sudden pulls you into uh, alignment with something that you may have been working on for a while. Um, and so those are the things that excite me going forward. And I get to do that from a clergy standpoint, the intersection of my faith and, and justice walk. Um, but then also in terms of just regular organizations who are trying to figure this out, how to be on the right side of history in this moment. But folks are trying to figure out how to make this reckoning be real long-term. You know, you and I have had the conversations over and over again about legislation we hoped would happen, things that we hoped would be different and further along. I mean, shoot, in the middle of the Chauvin verdict, we had the, 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 the killing of Dante Wright. There's a lot that kept being thrown on our plate the whole time. And we had to keep checking in and keep connecting with folks. And I think organizations are trying to figure out how we do this and how we keep some semblance of this. And I think this is something that our time together has, has awakened in me is, is helping to give folks permission to hold some healing space for themselves and to check in. And to ask themselves, how are they being them? This is this is why that question was so important for each episode and the check-in. How are you being you is not just a check-in to say, how you doing? Sis, hi, brother, how you doing? 
but it, it, it's a it's a it's a way to say, hey, have you stopped to ask yourself what's it like to be you in this moment, and to check in with what's happening there. And so, you know, as we get together, as we, you know, say farewell in this iteration of our work together and move on to new and better things. I don't know if it's a new podcast. I don't know if it's a a check in. You know, if you just call me up and be like, I need you to show up at this time. You know, you you are now in that pantheon of folks who can just be like, Anthony, I need this, and then I'm. I'm clamoring to figure out how I can make it work. So um, I appreciate that. And you know, the feeling is mutual and that extends to me and Ceriso. That's what's up. Cause, cause, <laughs> cause now my, my daughter and my son are, are, are boxing at his gym um, and work on the train. I will never forget. And this is, this is the beauty of how community works, right? So Georgia's connecting me with Ceriso's work at the gym. I won't forget the, the other day seeing um, my son and daughter there and they just got done with their with their training portion and their workout. And Ceriso has a pro come over and he says, all right, this thing that you just did 20 of, the burpees, yeah, um, this pro is going to do 100 of them. And this kid cheered this brother on as he got to about 30 and he started to see the struggle go yeah. in there. And the yeah. response of Ceriso and the whole gym was to clap and encourage and to get him through. And there was a point where Ceresa was like, do you want to stop and take a break and take some water? And the guy says, no. And the kids start leaning in. Before they were like, oh, this is interesting. And then they see him struggle and they're like, what are we doing? So they start to learn how to care. And then they yeah. start clapping him up and cheering him on. They're counting. And then you see kids trying to skip numbers to help him out. And Ceresa's like, no, <laughs> no, no. And it was a powerful moment where my kids walked away like, dang, that just, that just happened. And then it was hilarious because then it was time for them to do their push-ups and nobody wanted to be in that area where he was sweating and dripping. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fascinating to watch. And then, and then, we look up as we're getting ready to go and the same pro who was in there doing the 100 burpees is over at the heavy bag, continuing to work. And I get to have that conversation with my kiddos. Ceriso brought that moment to my children. And that's the kind of community that I want us to start being able to move forward and think of. How do we create more moments where we do that? Because that's something that they'll never forget. Yeah. And everybody, everybody was in service to that. We, we got in tune. We were singing harmony in that gym that day. And I feel like there is a need and a call to create more spaces for that kind of singing together, not bound by the, the price that this country exacts in our blood, for its own consciousness, but in a way mm. that is created by us, for us, and with us. So when I ask this question, you know, uh, as we think about all the places we've been in this farewell show, I'm asking it with that kind of creative energy in mind and harmony that, that your husband gave to my children. How are you going to keep being you going forward? Not how are you being you in this moment, but how are you going to keep being you going forward? Wow, what a what a beautiful story. I don't know how I follow that. And, and there's so much I want to say um, about your reflection and you and your children's experience at our gym. You know, Ceriso has this uh, call and response that he does. What time is what it? What time is it? Hard work. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and that's what hard work looks like. And... You know, how do you teach and instill in your children work ethic, you know? And, and, and so I think that in that community there, in that gym, it is demonstrated in, in those ways. And so if you ever ask any of my children what time it is, they will not tell you the time of day, rather, hard work. <laughs> but how, how am I being me moving forward is continuing to... Uh, you know, value my family, continuing to keep my family first. And um, they they are my why, you know. I, I had a conversation this afternoon. I was at lunch with a friend and uh, realized that, you know, we were friends. But for some reason, you know, I had never shared with her uh, the, the passing of my oldest daughter. And I, I didn't realize you know, how sharing that with her gave her clarity of my why. So many people ask me, how do you make money? 
And then they say, you know, why do you keep going out there? Why do you keep doing these things? I've had that all you're these doing? questions. <laughs> you know, and so, but my why is tied to the passing of my my oldest daughter, and the way that I was able to cope and move forward was by reaching out and helping other mothers who were grieving the loss of their child. And through journalism, I often connected with mothers on the day that they found out their child had been killed. And that gave me purpose in my pain. It it helped me move from a place of being hurt to a place of helping to a place of healing. And to this day, even when I reflect on my moments inside of the courtroom, you know, I remember having a moment where I was so overwhelmed by emotion and I was asking myself even, why am I here? And I looked over at Katie. Talking about Katie Wright? Yes. 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 Okay. I'm Dante Wright's mother. And and then I put my head down and I kept taking notes. I knew in that moment in making eye contact with her what my assignment was. And there are things that I will observe that can humanize families. There are things that I can offer through my own words or in my own conduct that can empower and motivate and encourage families to a pathway of healing because I have lost a child. And even though it's been in a very, very different way, the hurt and the pain of losing a child is unparalleled, you know? And so I, I didn't realize, you know, how, how much I have kept Georgia, baby Georgia, to myself over the last year and a half. That was my oldest daughter's name. But she is my why. She's the reason why I continuously show up for other families. I continuously show up for communities when it's extremely hard. Uh, Because when you have had to live through losing a child, you've had to bury a child, you've had to move forward after losing a child. I mean, there's really nothing else in life that can compare in terms of level of difficultness or the emotional toll, you know, everything else just seems easy. Um, and, and then it, you know, the, the reason why I keep showing up is because they're, it, it, it's, it's my calling, you know, it's, it's my purpose. So I, I'm being me moving forward by continuing to show up for other people in community, even when it is extremely hard and it doesn't make sense to everybody else. And I'm putting myself in danger. I'm continuing to do this work because that is what I've been called to do. Hmm. It's my purpose. You know, as, as we record this, we also mourn the passing of Bell Hooks, who was formative in my in my years and reading her work, one of the things that 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 you know she alludes to um, is the, the 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 fact that we should not confuse the smile on a, on these faces um, with a um, with a disregard of what we've been through. That we you know there's a saying in our communities that we do not look like what we've been through. And so I've been to the spaces, I've been to the pit of that despair, and it allows me to then recognize and be able to walk and bear witness in a way in the future. That's that's something that is as ancestral as our generations. We started our episodes with the episode of Watch Night, called Watch Night. You know, it's a play on the um, tradition in African-American communities of seeing what the year is going to bring with, you know, waiting for the 13th Amendment, the abolishment of slavery, the practices of looking at what's going to happen in the new year. You know, we're coming up on another new year. And as I hear you speak to that and share vulnerably that, that your why, um, that's a powerful gift. We forget <laughs> that part of our ministry can be just listening and sitting witness and bearing witness to folks who are in hard, difficult moments that we have already seen. That is a beautiful gift. As I, as I think about um, how I'm going to keep being me, 
not just through um, this current season that we're in, but going forward. One of the through lines that I've seen throughout the whole thing is an unapologetic Blackness. Now, this isn't an identity politic thing. This isn't a, a, a tribal call out thing. But when we look at ourselves as assets, not just to the community, not just for what we can do for other folks, but to ourselves, that is the moment where brilliant things get happen, brilliant things get created. Um, uh, uh, doors begin to open. Children begin to see that things are possible. When we walk in apology, we end up um, feeding into this narrative that, it, that our consciousness collectively as a nation requires our blood. And so if I'm going to walk forward, I'm going to keep being me by walking with what I've learned from all of these guests who have come here, from, from Brother Kevin Lindsay all the way to Brother Kevin Lindsay, who started us to close this out, right, in the pantheon of all of that. There's an unapologetic Blackness, a love of self and the ancestors and the way that we have gotten to, through, and exceeded these moments. You know, there's a, there's a viral video that says, try Jesus, don't try me. And folks get caught up on the meaning of that. And I take a different spin on that um, because an unapologeticness allows me to then say that the purpose and the way things should be is not how they are. And we need to fix it and we need to address it. I'm not going to let folks off the hook and I'm not going to sugarcoat because I'm not willing for, for our blood to continue to be the price for our collective consciousness. That's an unapologeticness that I want to walk forward and model and I want my kids to model. It's going to mean that a whole bunch more folks are going to get made uncomfortable. And that's okay because it's in that discomfort that new things can get created. So that's what I want to, how I'm going to keep being me going forward. It, was there ever some, a time throughout our time together where you said something that you were like, ooh, I might pay for that later? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. A and few you'll times. keep that to yourself or just let it be that? <laughs> a few times. Well, you know, I just, I, I know that there were moments where I just started getting emotional. And as a journalist, we are trained to report the facts and not have an opinion. But in the middle of covering the Chauvin trial, when Dante Wright was fatally shot, that was just overwhelming. Mm. And... I think that part of the way I was able to get through was by giving myself permission that I can I can be a human, that I can be a black woman, a, a biracial woman, and process what I'm going through to our audience without always having to stay within the confines of what a journalist is supposed to be. This isn't mainstream media. There is no carved out format or, you know. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I just gave my myself permission to, to be my whole self in this space. And um and yeah, there was times where I wondered if uh, folks in mainstream media were listening, if they would think of me less of a journalist because of that. And um, eventually I just said, I don't, I don't care. You know, um, what is for you is for you. Hmm. You have to be confident in that. Now, now, now to flip it and reverse it on you because <laughs> uh, Pasta Galloway, <laughs> I know some, sometimes we're ta talking about topics that may be controversial from the pulpit. Yeah. Um, so, so there's a couple of moments. One was when we were talking to Brother D.A. Bullock and um, Mr. Keep It 100 himself. And <laughs> um, we, you know, when you get into conversations like this, you, you, you sometimes can forget in a show that's, a, that's an opinion-based check-in with community where you're just making sense of stuff. You make sense of stuff out loud. And um, I remember in that episode, um, you know, getting into a conversation just about um, <laughs> we were talking a little bit about Karens <laughs> and this, this idea of, of who gets policed in their own coverage and what they can and can't say and things like that and, and keeping, um, keeping things kind of front and center 100. And um, I got some, some, some eyebrows from some folks in church community in that space 
because we have this um this this idea this this um uh kind of mythos around Christianity that somehow it's supposed to be this this timid tepid thing that is diminutive in its approach and connection with each other and this is another area where I'm like hey do not confuse this smile <laughs> with something that it's not <laughs> going to tell yourself about yourself right um you know I I represent a tradition where 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 um you know our Lord Turn tables and on money changes. I mean, you flipping tables on somebody, you getting some, you 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 handling some business, and you walking <laughs> around with sailors and another folks who, you know, who who are about that life. That's why that comment, that idea around, you know, try Jesus, don't try me, right? Um, I'm not here for your salvation. I'm here for our liberation. That is a a, a a something that can make some folks, even in community space, uncomfortable. But nothing, nothing was more. Uh, nothing got me more eyebrows and, and and friendly conversations, you know, that are friendly on the surface, but really they're trying to tell you something. <laughs> is the soul come up? It's episode uh, that episode with uh, uh, Melvin Carter Jr. That one caused me some some stuff in community, um, <laughs> just because in co- in community or at home. <laughs> nope, in community, in community. That's my father in law. Yes, true indeed. But the. Um, uh, it was in the community space because the, so even the idea or the assumption or this this idea that somehow we're going to have a conversation about how our past duty uh, you know acts as a nation and as officers might come back on us in a way that we should be aware of and think about. Even mentioning that caused a whole lot of angst and consternation in some folks who were like, it was it was kind of back into that space of you know the right way, big air quotes, to protest. That yeah. we get in some of these generational spaces. So, so those are some of the areas that have gotten me in a little bit of a what I want to call follow up conversations. Follow up conversations. <laughs> the show continues. Around. We should have been recording those conversations. Yeah, hey, hey. Uh, and I think, uh, I think a, a, a podcast only space where folks can take it as they want it <laughs> might be conducive to some things like that. But, but, well, and I'm hoping that we can transform into a space where people can see our facial expressions and the air quotes because there's so many things I feel like that don't translate to audio only formats. That's real. And, That's yeah. real. Your your rock back eye roll Jesus <laughs> take the wheel facial expressions at some of the things that we we, we mentioned things that have happened in community uh have been powerful. They've they've given me life. <laughs> Um, or the and, and, occasional wiping a tear away. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh man, it's been it's been a wild ride, and I have um, it's it's been powerful to be able to back your play. So one of the things that I got to say has come up in conversation, um, and I'm just going to keep it 100. Is brothers who have come up to me and said, "Hey, you know, um, you know that show that you do," and I said that in a show that we do. And they're like, yeah, but 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 you you the lead of the show, and I was like, why? He's like, because my name came first on the money on, on on the naming of it, and I was like, keep in mind that one of us is on the front lines, the other one gets to go to church, you know, it, it's it's a very different dynamic, and so I've had to have some uncomfortable conversations just with brothers to say, look, I'm back in this sister's play, that's what this is right now. And if, if that makes you uncomfortable, then we can continue having some conversations, but just know where my line is going to be just as we go down this road. I had not been clear about what it meant to back a Black woman's play in this way and get the pushback that I expected from dominant culture spaces, did not expect from, from other brothers. And keep in mind, there are other brothers who were like, no, 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 Galloway, you're good. You're good. Don't, don't even sweat that, you know? But that has been something, an exercise that I've had to be disciplined about in here. Even when we've appeared in other venues and things like that, and folks are like, well, how can we support your work? But well, the support you really need to be supporting is Georgia Ford. This independent journalist who's on the front lines dodging bottles with an umbrella uh, <laughs> and having to go home to her babies. <laughs> mm, I appreciate that so deeply. You know, I think that we have been conditioned by society to maintain these certain gender roles or hierarchy because of our gender. And we're seeing the next generation really challenge a lot of those identities and ideas. But it it is so easy to, to get stuck in that. And, you know, 
uh, either way, you know, I, I think that there is, there's a mutual respect that that we have shown one another that that transcends, you know, all of that, I, I feel like. You know, and, and so but I, I do remember too having some some conversations also about just creating space. And I think that oftentimes in the black community, uh, we we don't talk about that. The first time I encountered that being addressed in in a, a group space that included both men and women was with the African-American Leadership Forum when I was a Josie Johnson fellow. Mm-hmm. And when when this came up on one of our shows, I don't remember which show it was, but I pointed to this moment and gave a huge applaud to Ernest Comer for asking black men to create space for black women to be able mm-hmm. to lead, right, and show up. And... You just don't you don't see that being called out often, and and not that it needs to be called out all the time or anything, but we should be conscious and outside of just you know gender identity or anything, we should be conscious about creating space for other people, intentionally creating space for other people. Um, I remember when they asked me about this show, I I didn't want to be the lead on the show. <laughs> I just didn't want to. Um and and not not just in sense of like, oh, that's not something I enjoy. I I'd, I'd love to, you know, do this and and that's why I've done it, but understanding the emotional toll that it takes to go out there in community every single day, I feel like that's the best way I can serve the community. So, you know, am I supposed to take on something like this and not fulfill my commitment to the community? You know, it just it doesn't it doesn't make sense. And so um, I've also because you've created space for me to be able to show up in this capacity by leading on the show. Um, I've tried to extend that by creating space sometimes for other reporters where I was reporting three three days a week. No one asked me to stop. I said, I, I think that these young women deserve the opportunity to have consistent income and consistent voice and presence and to expand their own portfolio, you know? And so, yeah, I've, that I think is a, a, another nugget that I'll take away from from this entire experience is just the power of creating space, having been a beneficiary of that with you um, doing a lot of the preparation and, and keeping the format and, you know, just making sure that the structure is there. And, and even with Halee and, and for me, I've, I've tried to extend that gratitude to other people by creating space for them. And if we all, intentionally create space for people. Just think about how much better our community would be. Mm. That's powerful. And it, it's, it's, it's been awesome to, to watch you interact too with um, the, the other young reporters who, who have been holding it down. That show that you did with Faith and Soul Hope um, was such a powerful and awesome way to see mentor, mentee, I don't know if you described it that way, but that's how I see it. So, you know, Faven, if you don't like that, come holler at me. Um, but it, it 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 not just creates the opportunity, but it's that kind of callback, right? That Sankofa, who we were, who we are, who we want to be. We've got multiple generations, future generations at work in this space. It's all so powerful to see. And, and it puts money where it mouth is. These folks are having, are getting job experience doing amazing work and bringing forward narratives and questions and ways of, of, of bringing this information forward that mainstream uh, outlets aren't necessarily doing. So yeah. that, that, that has been a powerful space. Um, I could sit here forever and love on, love on my community, love on y'all. Um, but at some point we got to say goodbye and let the thing be the, let the main thing be the main thing. Yeah. Um, Georgia, it's been a pleasure. It's been a blessing. Uh, to be able to connect in this way, um, and before you, but before you do, uh, let me give a heartfelt thank you to Kevin Lindsay of the uh, Minnesota Humanities Center, um, 
Doc, uh, I almost said Dr. Freddie Bell again. <laughs> Freddie Bell at KMOJ, who who kind of birthed this idea and brought this up to the folks um, at Ampers. I think, I think you, the you prophesizing over his his doctoral ship. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> speak it into existence. I, I'm going to speak it into existence. Um, but 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 Freddie Bell has been very clear from the get-go. And just his, his way of just being real smooth and cool throughout all the things, you know, you always get a sense that that everything's going to be all right just in the, in his presence. And so um, I appreciate the kicking off the idea. All of the reporters who worked in here from, from all the young, young reporters of color who have been holding it down for the daily updates and will continue to do so uh, beyond bearing witness um, to you, Georgia, of course, Marianne, Marianne Combs. Combs. Yep, yes. absolutely. Who was, who was, who was helping support and kind of give that journalistic mentorship through folks. Aaron over at Ampers, um, um, Joel, Joel, all those folks, Justice backing us up. There's so many people um, who who go into making this, and I want to make sure that folks understand that this is a communal effort, and this was a communal effort that was multiracial, and that was inclusive of white folks in the overall scope who were saying, "How can I do my part, and how can I take the lead from folks of color um, and support in that way?" Uh, for those who think that it cannot happen, it absolutely has, and we are an example of some of that. Um, to Lee, our absolute wonderful producer in chief, who stays in the chat, keeping us on task, helping us to to push when we need to be pushed, and helping us to keep remember things when we need to remember it. Um, but also, who spends that tireless energy making this sound the way it does when it comes out into the podcast space? Um, you need to honor your producers. Um, the, the scripture says, "Honor that mother and that father, and that days will be long." <laughs> um, in the tech space, when you're doing this media content, you honor your producers and your editors, or you will not be successful. Understand? Okay. <laughs> Love but it. but there's just so much that goes, and then all of the guests who gave time and community and space to be able to let us be able to check in. We're going to be able to go back and see what some of the folks on the ground were experiencing during this moment of reckoning. And who knows? Maybe there is a call that comes out to say, hey, we need this space again. And when we have that opportunity and we get that call, you best believe that Anthony and Georgia are going to be here at the ready to hold space again and ultimately to uh, make sure we keep this one thing in front of us. So, Ms. George, I kick it over to you. In the words of Dr. Joy Lewis, may the revolution be healing. This is Bearing Witness. Bearing Witness with Anthony and Georgia is a production of Racial Reckoning, the Arc of Justice, a journalism project created and supported by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities. In partnership with KMLJ Radio, the Minnesota Humanities Center, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Mm-hmm.